This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Country Wine and Spirits is the number one online source for wine and spirits, offering over 3,000 products. You won't find a better selection of spirits and wines anywhere else. You can order everything from the most popular brands to some brands out there that you may not know of, but you should definitely try. They also have gift boxes for those special occasions that are coming up. To check out Country Wine and Spirits and go find that perfect spirit for yourself, go to cwspirits.com. And when you check out, use coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 and get 5% off your entire order. That's cwspirits.com, coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 for 5% off. Hey everybody, this is Rose Carroll. I am the Colorado Mermaid and you are listening to Hey Bartender Podcast. Rose Carroll, the Colorado mermaid herself, thank you for joining me on Hey Bartender Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you today, sir? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, it's a little hot out here in Texas, but uh, what about where you're at? Oh, yeah. It is sweltering here in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, Nashville. Oh, you're, uh, that's cool. Um, well, that yes. explains that picture I saw on your social media, you standing in front of that giant guitar uh, at the... Yes. Is that, that's the Grand Ole Opry? Yes. Oh, yes. oh that... That's kind of like historical cool. Yes, it was an honor to be there, part of all that history. It was gorgeous inside, and we got to watch Carly Pierce. We were part of the filming for the 4th of July special on, I think it was on CBS or ABC. Um, it was just a really cool experience overall. Oh, that yeah, that's so cool. Before we get started here, uh, before we really get going, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am 32. I am, I guess, what you consider to be a travel bartender. I've been bartending since I was 18. I started in Wisconsin, where I was born, and I've done everything. I've bartended from sports bars. I've been a shot girl. I've worked high-end weddings. I've bartended private parties for very wealthy people. Um, I, I've done everything, and now I own my own company, and so I've more so transitioned out of the daily bartending regiment into being a travel bartender. And what that means is I work different events um, all over the country, really. They're, they're not ever just in one spot. So you started working in the service industry when you were 18? In Wisconsin, you can start to be behind the bar as long as there's someone who has their license um, behind the bar. So I started learning things, making drinks, all that stuff when I was 18. See, that uh, that's a bunch of things that I'm learning as I do this podcast because liquor laws are different in every single state. In Oregon, where I'm originally from, you could serve alcohol when you were 18 to 21, but you couldn't pour or open containers containing alcohol until you were 21. I had a lot of fights with uh, these underage uh, servers that uh, at a bar that I used to work at because they thought, what's the big deal? I'll just pop a beer here. And I'm like, don't do that because yeah. it might cost me my job. But... Anyway. I'm, it's been so long since I bartended in Wisconsin, but I'm pretty sure that in Wisconsin you can be drinking with your parents at 16. That might be wrong. We might have to look into that. But from what I remember when I was, you know, just getting into it, like kids would look like they were 12 years old, but that they were with their parents. So it was okay. It was a really weird thing to wrap my head around initially. Also, when you're so young and you don't want to get in trouble and you enjoy what you're doing, it, it was definitely a learning curve at first. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, now that you're a traveling bartender, the uh, liquor laws change pretty much wherever you go. Do you have to stay up on that? Yeah. So a lot of the preparation for bartending each state is you have to have some sort of certification. So depending on what it is, I think I currently hold like five different um, like state serve or tip certifications, essentially. Some are nationwide, some are for event to event, but there's some that are state specific. So um, like in New Jersey, like there's specific rules, like I from what I remember, it's been like four or three or four years since I bartended out there, but it was like two drinks per person and that was it. And I had to go through a specific regiment for that, you know, going out there. So I had to pay, take the class. The classes are usually online, two to three hours, you can bang it out. And then they email your certificate and you're good to go. But you have to have that because if someone comes around and, and asks you and you can't provide that, you can be in big trouble for serving without that proof and licensing. Boy, that sounds like a headache to me. But, uh, it's, worth it. <laughs> it's I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's worth it. But, uh, for, if you want to work, you got to do it. So, but yeah, but let's start back at the beginning. Uh, when you first started in the service industry, you're 18 years old. Uh, what yeah. made, what made you get into it? Um, I always grew up working for my mom and, um, I don't know, eventually, like I just wanted to do something different and she owned a kennel. So I was always around animals and I always really liked animals and interacting with you know people and stuff and so I don't know I just I started I started working at Chili's and um, that was I guess my transition into the service industry and then I started working at a sports bar and I started as a shot girl which was so much fun I would come in and I would wear these little tiny like like prom looking skin tight dresses and serve jello shots and it was always fun like if a guy ever wanted to talk to me he'd buy the tray of jello shots so i'd have to cut out all of their change for a hundred shots on the tray and so it was an excuse to like hang out and talk and it was just a lot of fun and that was you know i realized you can have a lot of fun you can meet really cool people and you can make a ton of money and who doesn't want that when you're you know 18 19 20 21 i'm 32 and i still love interacting with people and making money on the road so it's a lot of fun oh so you started in corporate restaurants Yes, but Chili's, from what I remember, I feel like I, you know, sometimes I feel a little senile, but yeah, Chili's, I'm 99% sure it was my first actual restaurant gig. And uh, did you uh, learn a lot from working at Chili's or, uh, you know, because I've, uh, I don't want to attack Chili's uh, really, but I've been hearing (laughs) questionable business acts about Chili's in the last few years. And Um, I haven't been in one since I worked in one, honestly, I don't eat a lot of fast food and that's. I've just, it's been since I worked in one that I've actually been to one. So I probably don't have any answers there. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Just the, the tipping policies and all that stuff that, uh, that I've heard about. And I'm, uh, working in some of those corporate restaurants, some of the people mostly on the East coast are like they with that, that they have to tip out a certain percentage to the cooks, the bartender, the host, the dishwasher, based on their sales and I heard about that. yeah and they uh end up possibly going home in the negative because of their tip policy mm-hmm. and i'm like that's disgusting uh, that's absolutely ridiculous but the- no like i feel like the back of house should be paid you know we couldn't do it without them and they couldn't do it without us but i feel like they shouldn't necessarily be a tip portion and that is just my opinion. But, you know, what we do in the interacting, you know, I think they should be paid a higher wage than we are because we do get compensated with the tips. But I don't know how I feel about tipping out back of house. I, you know, tip out front of house, you tip out your, you know, your barbacks, your bartenders that make your drinks, if you're serving, you know, your support staff, that's 
that's one thing, you know, even I've worked places where you do have to tip out the host. That's cool. Like they help you get your tables. They, you know, help you get people into your section. Everybody helps everybody. But I feel like the back of house is just like a different beast. And I feel like they should be compensated differently than, than us. That might be unpopular opinion, but actually, no, that actually, that is very popular opinion uh, based on interviews I've had in the past is uh, some of the corporate restaurants, they drop, they actually drop the wage of, of the cooks and force the servers to tip uh, tip them out to compensate for that wage. And that's like they just want to keep extra money in their pockets. Right. <laughs> and we're disposable because everyone wants to do it. Right. So. But uh, so you moved on to uh, after that, you moved on to a sports bar. Now, you were already behind the bar at this point. You were already slinging drinks. Um, so at Chili's, I didn't bartend. I was just a server, but that was kind of, I wanted to bartend there, but I remember that their training program was really rigorous and I didn't want to do blended drinks. Like there was a lot of things there <laughs> that you had to do. And again, like I'm, I'm non-traditional. Like I think I have been probably since I was 16. Like I don't really like corporate. Mm-hmm. It's not really my vibe. I'm more of a free spirited person. So um, going towards more of like a, a private establishment where there's more flexibility and, you know, you don't have to wear a stupid uniform and you can, you know, represent yourself and still represent the company that you're working for. I really thrive in that sort of an environment. Yeah. Real, real good bartenders hate blenders. Uh, uh, I, oh, I've used the excuse, the blender's broken way too many times. More times, <laughs> more times than you count. Yeah. It's not working. I trust me. You don't want me to try to make something in there. Yeah. I said that all the time. I, I've always been happy that I never, when I was a bartender, I never worked corporate. It was always in mom and pop owned uh, bars. And the biggest reason why I was always happy about not working corporate is I went into one restaurant and I must have seen their servers and their bartender all get together to sing happy birthday for like four tables within two hours. And I'm nope. like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> No, I would always be, like, in the bathroom or, like, in having to, like, run food or something when we would have to do something like that. That just made me cringe because especially if there wasn't enough people on the floor, like, you could not get away with lip syncing if there's only three of you singing and you're the only girl. Like, (laughs) I hated that so much. But you you like the uh, less traditional or you like to be more comfortable. You don't uh, you don't want to wear the uniform. You just want to be you. And yeah. was that pretty much how you, uh, when you, before you became a shot girl, um, I'm talking about, uh, was that pretty much where you moved on to when you went into the sports bar, you were wearing your, just your casual clothes and, uh, so we had, when I worked there, we had these really cute yoga pants that had the name of the bar on the butt. And then we had different tank tops, but we could like do different things with the tank tops. We had zippies that we could wear. Um, I guess that was kind of our uniform, but it was more relaxed. And you could come in, you, you didn't have to wear the pants. You could just wear the tank top. You could wear jeans. Um, so it was, that was more relaxed too. And it was, it was high speed. It was a, a sports bar. So like for football games, baseball games, basketball games, whatever, it was packed. There was a mezzanine that you would go up and people would sit on. Um, it was a college town. So there was college kids in there on the weekends. I mean, really any of the night of the week, we had some sort of special, like it was a lot of fun. And I, I still have friends that I talk to and I'm friends with on Facebook from working at that place. Oh, that's awesome. You uh, stay in, I stay in touch with a few of my former coworkers, but as time goes by, it gets a lot harder, but well, well, now that we're up into your uh, bartending career, uh, it's time to tell everybody about the drink special. So, uh, (laughs) Uh, what do you bring for us today? Sure. So 
ironically, as a bartender, I don't drink that much anymore. So if I'm going to drink, I'm someone who's going to drink something that tastes like dessert, or I'm just going to shoot Jameson because what girl doesn't like whiskey? <laughs> so my my favorite kind of drink, this comes from my time working in Breckenridge, Colorado. I worked at this martini bar, and it was a nightclub on the weekends, martini bar during the week. And we had just every different kind of alcohol you could think of, but we had a lot of fruity things and sweet things. And so I love to make like a banana nut kind of martini. So it was about a half a shot of Frangelico and then maybe like an ounce, ounce and a half of a vanilla vodka and then some sort of like creamed banana or a banana, you know, something fruity that tasted like that. And it legitimately tasted like a banana nut muffin and it was delicious and they put a little whipped cream on it. All the girls loved it for our two-for-one martini special. But anything fruity, I would do like blueberry muffins that were like that too. It was delicious. So uh, banana banana nut martini, uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's the one? Well, uh, oh, so good. Uh, well, I like to remind all my listeners, if you try the banana nut martini, please let us know. Uh, you can email me, dude, at Hey Bartender Podcast, or we'll give you uh, Rose's information towards the end of the show, and you can tell her how much you love it too. It's delicious, I promise. <laughs> as we keep moving on a little bit in your career, moving up to shot girl. Now, was that one of those situations where you, you paid for your alcohol and then sold them to the tables or how did that work? So with, with that first place that I was a shot girl, um, they would make the jello shots. We would come in. We did not have to pre buy them, but we were responsible for all the money that ended up, you know, at the end of the night. Um, that is probably the first and only place that I worked at where we did not have to pre buy the bottle. Most places that you work when you're you're like that, you're essentially like an independent contractor. A lot of the places I've worked as a shot girl, as a traveling bartender, you're not even like you're not even like a normal bartender. Like you're not part of those meetings. You just come in, you kind of usually have to make the shots or if you're just gonna be a shot girl, you buy the bottle of liquor, you put a pour spot on the end of it, and then you walk around and you just pour those shots in people's mouths. Mm. You know, it's it's a pretty easygoing thing. Um, but then, yeah, you are responsible for fronting that money. So you have to come maybe depending on what the bottle is, you know, 150, sometimes, you know, more for the bottle. And then plus you have to bring a change bank. So you have to show up usually with at least, you know, three, 400 bucks for your first night to be able to do that. Oh, that's a lot of responsibility to handle too. So now yeah. as a shot girl, I, uh, all of a sudden this question popped into my mind. Now, when you were carrying around the shots, did you carry the uh, tray above your head did you carry it in front of you? Did you have a cart? So I had a light up. Well, one place, the sports bar, I had a light up tray that would blink. And I would, depending on if I had went through the dance floor, if I was going through the other part and I always went through the dance floor, like I knew where people were and I knew that it, you know, I'm wearing something that's sparkly and pretty and I have something that's blinking. Like who doesn't like shiny things? So everyone sees you, they follow you around. So yeah, I mean, sometimes it was over my head. Sometimes it was in front of me. Sometimes I would have to elbow people just to be able to walk through. It was a full experience. Uh, um, a story that an old friend of mine once told me that she said that uh, this was back in the 80s that you were trained. You were supposed to carry it on one hand above your head uh, whenever you had a tray. And sometimes she had like five pints on that tray. But every once in a while, there's this one jerk that sits back and thinks, oh, I'm just going to grab one of those. And then the, you lose the balance on the beers and then they all fall if uh, on purpose or not on the person that yep. decided to grab a beer. Did that ever happen to you? Um, I've never spilled a tray of liquor shots, but I have spilled maybe two trays of jello shots. And it was like, I was walking through the dance floor and some drunk idiot that looked like he was on acid was like waving his arms in the air, doing something. 
and just they flew like confetti through the dance floor. And usually I was always really good about getting the money back because I didn't want to pay for that. I didn't want to pay for the $100 out of my tips. Like it wasn't my fault that I dropped them. So usually people would, they, you know, they knew they did something wrong and it was either them or their buddy would go and take money out of the ATM and, you know, tip me for the inconvenience and then also pay for the tray. And the jello shots, a lot of them would just pick them up off the floor and actually eat them anyway. So it was a a good deal for everyone involved. (laughs) You, so they didn't go to waste, but, uh, and most importantly, no. you got paid for them. So yes. that, that's, uh, that would be the scary thing. And you, when you see jello shots, you just see dollar signs flying away from you and yeah, like study in front of a fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's cool. You were able to get the money back for all of that. And cause some people were like, Hey, be like, Hey, what are you doing? Getting in my way. It wasn't my fault. You were doing it. And just, just no. the, the way people are nowadays kind of upsets me, but I've always been pretty lucky. Usually people aren't very mean to the bartenders. They want you to pay attention to them and sure. And to like you, they want their drink. <laughs> so, um, so you were, it sounds like you were working in big clubs and, or, or at least, uh, very crowded, uh, restaurants or bars. Uh, yeah, I've, and I've evolved. Um, I would be what I would consider to be a speed bartender, um, which is, I mean, there's like craft cocktail bartenders, you know, there's high end, you know, whatever. But I, I consider myself to be a speed bartender. So I'm the kind of bartender that's really, really, really bored unless they're ringing in like six, eight, maybe 10, 12,000 in a night. Like that is what I like. I like to be slammed back and forth taking, you know, three to four drink orders at a time that is where I thrive and have the best time. And you just, it's, it's like a rush. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, that explains why you like to uh, do event bartending because the, what kind of events do you bartend? Uh, um, Some examples. Yeah. Some really big concert series like the see here now in New Jersey. Last year I bartended the NFL draft. Um, I've bartended in Sturgis for their motorcycle rally for the last four years. I do Myrtle beach. I've done Daytona. Um, I've done like really big weddings and stuff too, like in convention centers. Um, but like I would say Sturgis is probably one of the the bigger like well-named things that everybody knows. The draft, obviously, everyone knows the NFL draft. But um, as far as like where speed really pays off, Sturgis is is one of those for sure. But that's also a lot of entertainment on top of just the bartending. So it's a whole different beat. So yeah, um, when you're bartending for a couple thousand or a couple hundred thousand people. Uh, you have no problem staying busy. Uh, no. Because, uh, like, nope. what did they say? Like, Sturgis, uh, what was it 2019? It was it was low for that year but because of COVID, but it was still 250,000 people. Uh, oh, yeah. And well, the year of COVID, it was weird. Like, there was a lot of tension, and a lot of people came out, and they're like, well, are you worried about being here? Like there was a lot of people doing documentaries that would come around and talk to us girls and be like, are you, you know, are you safe? Do you feel safe? Like, are you going to get it? Have you had it? And at that point I'd already had it. So I wasn't too worried about it. There was maybe one or two bartenders that was wearing a mask. Um, but people that year were so generous with their money. Like people would just come up to me and give me a hundred dollars and be like, I'm so happy that you're here. It's great to see you this year. We remember you from last year. Thanks for coming out. Mm. And the money that year for everyone being so scared and everything, it was a, a stupid money making year. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, it was great. Yeah. I, uh, I ride a Harley, but I don't have enough guts to uh, go do uh bike rallies yet. 
You gotta yeah. come out. You should come to Myrtle Beach. That is my favorite rally that I do. I work at Suck Bang Blow, and you, it's a family, and it's so amazing. The music's good. It's not a big rally like Surges, so it's not overwhelming, and there's beautiful things to see. I think that's a good entry one, but it's honestly one of the best ones you could ever go to mm. also. Now, uh, when you're doing event bartending, though, you know, things like Sturgis, Myrtle, Myrtle Beach, for example, you're doing a big event where there's guaranteed to be tons of people there. And mm-hmm. how difficult is it for you once you've got the job, once, you, uh, once you've set up that you're going to be at, I had the name of the bar escapes me in Sturgis, the, the really popular one. Oh, um, well, I was working at um, One Eyed Jack. That's well, one just, of the really big yeah. ones on the street. Yeah. yeah, that's really well known. Um, when you're uh, when you've set it up with One Eye Jacks that you're gonna you're gonna be there, and how do you handle the living uh, uh, the living situation? Because probably every motel hotel is uh, packed or just at uh, no vacancy for miles. Yeah, so it's kind of difficult. You have to find um, properties. All Usually you're staying with anywhere between, you know, 5 to 10, 11, 12 other people in a house. You're bringing air mattresses. You're doubling up on beds. You have two people, three people in a bed, someone on an air mattress in the same room, people in the living room. The house that we stayed at that I, um, that I ran and filled two years ago and last year, we had people staying in the laundry room on, and twin blow-up mattresses. Like, you utilize every space. And then you have all those people sharing two bathrooms. Yeah. So you, you really have to be efficient. You have to be an adult, you know, and share the space, get ready together. Um, it's, I feel like it's always been a situation that deserves to be on MTV because it is glitter and outfits and people walking around in their underwear getting ready. Like we wear crazy things at those events. It's really cool. So, I mean, it would be MTV has dropped the ball by not filming us doing that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I will well, say that. You've said it on my show. So, copyright, you know, Hey Bartender podcast. I'll, I'll put you <laughs> in. PM, PM, PM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that belongs to Hey Bartender podcast. I'll put you in as, uh, uh anyway. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, how did you, uh, how did it start becoming an event bartender? Because, uh, how do you hear about it? And how do you, uh, end up in that situation? So going back to bartending at that first sports bra, or sports bra, sports bar when I was really young, um, there was a girl that I remember her, and I'm still friends with her on Facebook. I always idolized her. She's just a badass, and she went out and she bartended Sturgis, and I saw it, and I was like, wow, like that is the big leagues. Like you did that, and I was just, I was always enamored by her, and she was just gorgeous, and she worked at this bar. Um, I want to say it was called the Dungeon in Stevens Point, and she was just amazing and I wanted to be like her and um you know I even I think I messaged her at one point and then I was in Colorado and there's a few people that I knew from some of the nightclubs that worked there that also went out one year and I was like man and I was so intimidated and I just didn't think I was pretty enough or good enough to do it and I let that stop me for like I want to say three or four years I just I was like man everyone's so pretty and they're so good and I just didn't feel like I had it and then one year I don't know what was going on but I was just like screw it I'm gonna apply and ironically, I was applying at all the bars, and the bar that I applied at, One Eyed Jack, I had a one-eyed cat. Her name is Zagira. And that bar, because it's a bear, he's got an eye patch. And, and I put in my application, and the, the owner of the bar actually ended up calling me, and, and he was in Thailand. He's from there. and or Not from there, but he's married to a lady. He lives there. And I was going there. And we just, like, talked for, I, I want to say, like, two and a half hours. And he hired me on the spot. And I was like, how did I, like, this was effortless. Like, why did I not do this sooner? 
and it just evolved like I did that and when you get out there everyone it's every it's like a family and everyone's like oh like you're here are you doing this event like do you go here and people that you're serving that are customers they're like what's your social media we want to come see you you know you live in Nashville you live in Denver like you know where are you we want to come support you where you're from and people are just great and so kind and so generous and so it's just you just kind of fall into it. It's not like I, I went to that event thinking I was going to start doing this. I was like, oh, I'm going to do Sturgis. That's cool. Like, it's a, a one-time thing. But it, it became a lifestyle, kind of. Yeah. The, um, that's the, basically the way I've heard it described before, the, uh, being an event bartender and traveling all over the place. It just becomes your way of life. And yeah. <laughs> it and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, you're there to make money, and you that's what you do. And I'm sure there are thousands of people all over the world that wish they could travel to interesting places like that and go to big parties and, uh, you know, be the, be the bartender or something like that. But It's, it's such an honor to get to go to a lot of the places and see these performers and meet, you know, I've gotten to meet, you know, every like backup singers, you know, backstage people, celebrities, you know, just people from all over the country. And it's just like, it's cool. Like you get to do it and you're there and you're part of the event and everyone wants to meet you and take pictures with you. And you're just a bartender, you know, yeah. but it's, it's really cool to be part of the actual event and you know, you're making money. You're not paying to be there. Like how could that be better? You know? Yeah. A friend of mine, she's gone to Sturgis a handful, uh, a handful of times. And one time she was there and she sent me a picture of all the motorcycles down the main street. And I was like, God, there's some beautiful motorcycles. Then all of a sudden it occurred to me, so I text her, and I said, where are all the people? And she uh, then she showed me a picture of the waitresses and one-eyed jacks, and she, and she goes, in here with them. And I'm <laughs> like, gotcha. But, uh, but yeah, Sturgis, uh, it, it's the most well-known, most, uh, uh, most popular. And, it, you know, that's just one of those things where I sit back and think, do I think I could make the ride all the way? Uh, all the way to South Dakota and uh, cause you know, you don't, you don't want to be that guy that has your bike shipped in and then ride in the last 30, 40 miles. So many people do that though. So <laughs> many people throw their bikes in. It's, it's not even, it wouldn't even matter. You'd be one of thousands. <laughs> so being an, uh, being an event bartender compared to working in a restaurant though, do you feel like you have to be a little bit more entertaining or do you feel like that uh, you are so, uh, you got, you know, like eight people wide, 20 people deep. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just pour the drinks. It depends on what you're doing. So like the NFL draft, like for example, like you're, you're one of, you're under a tent. You're one of maybe, you know, 15 bartenders in a row. People line up, you know, you have to tip, tip, tip share anyway, usually a cashless event. So it's not like you're really one against your neighbor. Like I would still call people from the other line over to be in my lane just because I was faster, but like, as far as me profiting from that, like, there's no difference. But for working, you know, example, Sturgis, you know, Myrtle Daytona, you're basically an independent contractor. Like, you are your brand. You show up, and people know you. They know your style. They know what you bring with you. Like, I, one of my things I do is I thank people with a wooden paddle for money. And, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of tattoos. Like, but I always wear glitter. So some of my customers call me glitter. Cause I always have it on my face. I have it on my chest and on my arms, but I bring, I bring light. Like I bring, I bring a lot of things so people cannot miss my bar wherever I am. Mm-hmm. And when you go back year after year, you know, usually you try to stay in the same spot or if you can move to a better spot, but 
to be honest, it's really about who you are and how you sell yourself behind the bar because there are bartenders that are on a back corner bar and they are slammed. Like they have great sales. There's huge crowds around them and you take them off that bar and you put another bartender on there and they might be dead. It's just because of who you are and you know, the vibe that you have with people. And so when you go and you're doing those things, you really have to be confident in who you are. And you know, you just, you're there, you have a short period of time. You got to make that money. And it's, it's a fucking hustle. Like you have to hustle. So you're basically, uh, you're marketing yourself in a way, uh, yes. building, not exactly, you're but building, uh, building a character, uh, maybe yes. in a way. And just so you're memorable, you know, people uh, are guaranteed to remember you, uh, uh, you know, whether, when they're leaving, when they come back or quickly recognize you when they come back the next year or something like that. And, uh, and I never look the same because my hair is always different. I have extensions or don't have extensions. My hair is pink or black or blonde or something, but my tattoos stay the same. And I, I love cats and mermaids. So a lot of my vibe with my area is like very bright and colorful. And I have these little, like little booty bottom things that have cat faces on them and little cat ears that like wiggle around. And so like, People know me for sure when I go places and, and I've had so many people come up to me and they're like, you're a Colorado mermaid. And I'm like, yes, you follow me on social media. Like, you know who I am. So it's, it's really cool. And people from year to year, will like bring up pictures and they'll be like, you were hammered or I was hammered with you like last year. You, you know, you spanked my buddy two years ago. This is you beating him up on, you know, Instagram. And it's, it's really cool to see that stuff. Oh, uh, you're probably one of, uh, I've seen a couple of paddling done at Sturgis at, and it actually scares me a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you were one of the videos, but I saw a couple of them where uh, do you, uh, they don't hold back with the paddle. When the guy pays for a paddling, it, it's mm-hmm. almost scary. How, I'm like, how do they n- not walk away bloody? <laughs> oh, some do. Some do. And I always tell people, it's, it's funny, like some guys will pay and then like their buddies will pay and like they'll try to outpay each other to try to like do them instead of getting spanked. But like... I don't, like, I always take people, I put them against the bar, I put their hands on the bar, I make them bend over a little bit, I take everything out of their pockets, make sure that we're not going to break their phone or, you know, something on my wallet. But a lot of times they're like, how, are you going to hit me like one or two times? And I'm like, I'm going to hit you until you can't get hit anymore until my paddle breaks and I have to get another one, (laughs) is what I tell people. And I broke a few few paddles, I make them pay me to replace my paddle, and then I sign it for them, and we always take a picture with it. But, um... It's, it's, it's fun. I had two guys break records this year. There was one guy that did 22 paddlings in Myrtle beach. And I was like, Oh my God, like that was crazy. And then two days later, another guy came through and we did 32 and I stopped because I thought that I was going to just break him. And I was like, are you okay? Like, I know I'm hurting you. Like, are you okay? (laughs) And, um, so we stopped on that one, but this year too, the spring rally, I think so many guys that I ripped my hand open and I actually had to wrap my hand every time someone paid for a spanking. I had a bandana that I would wrap my hand and I also wrapped my paddle to try to protect my hand. Cause I had huge open gashes on my hand. Oh man. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> some people just got to go the distance, I guess. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, how are you going to ride your motorcycle home when you can't sit down? I mean, <laughs> Oh man, it's, I don't know. It's, it's like a rite of passage. And I feel like, you know, when you're in a frat in college and you get, you go through all the different hazing things. Like I feel like you're coming to a rally, you're a virgin at a rally, you know, you, there's certain things and people go around and everyone knows it's a thing. You know, I've never been to a rally. I'm a virgin. What, what are you going to do to me? 
And so some girls, you know, they like pull up your boxers and give you wedgies and they rip your underwear and cut them off. You know, some girls paddle, you know, some girls like write all over you with permanent marker and some girls will cut your hair. Like I cut your beard. Like I've seen almost everything happen at an event. Like really anything goes. That's crazy. (laughs) It's so much fun. Now available at CW Spirits, My Big Pickle Vodka. My Big Pickle Vodka was accidentally made in North Texas. A bunch of friends got together and were decided that they wanted to make some Bloody Marys with a little bit of pickle juice inside it. But then they woke up one morning and realized that they didn't have any Bloody Mary mix, so they just decided to do some vodka and with a pickleback and realized they had a huge hit on their hands. My Big Pickle uh, Vodka is a very unique way to mix all of your favorite drinks, whether it's having a uh, putting a little bit with a bloody beer, making your Bloody Marys. The sky's the limit here. If you're a lover of pickles and vodka, this is the drink for you. Head on over to CWSpirits.com. Remember to use promo code HeyBartender5 to get 5% off your entire order and pick up My Big Pickle today. Yeah, I know what I said. Hey, bartender. Other than the acts that show up there, uh, the musical acts that show up at Sturgis, do celebrities show up there? Uh, oh, yeah. I've never like, heard of anybody. Oh, yeah, Corey Hart, like Pink's husband, he's there. He comes in when I jacks all the time. Um, yeah, there's like famous um, stunt people, bikers celebrities like um like movie stars and stuff like people will be like oh this person was in here or this person um like at last year um i met a bunch of different people as well who are associated with some really famous boxers um you know and i actually got to hang out with them and now they're my friends so i mean it's just it's it's really cool because everyone comes there and like you can't tell who has money you don't unless you like know somebody from social media like you don't know who's who but people might sit down, you know, people might not tip you the first day, the second day, the third, fourth, fifth, even sixth day that you're there. And then the day before, you know, their very last day, they'll give you a thousand dollar tip. And like, you're like, who the hell were you? You know, it's like, you just, you really never know. And people are so cool about that stuff. And you really do just become family with everybody, your customers and your coworkers. Yeah, I was just curious because I've seen a lot of celebrities come out and advertise Harley Davidson lately like uh, Jason Momoa did uh, did some videos uh, a couple of years back. Dave Grohl did a couple of videos. So I was just, I, I would sit back and think, you know, do I, they seem like the type that would go to Sturgis or some kind of rally, but they they would be, you know, uh, they'd be recognizable and people would be all over them. So I guess it would be kind of dangerous for them to do that. But It's weird. Like, I guess it's like anything, like if you're famous, like some people are going to be cool and some people aren't. And I've definitely seen people at events, you know, concerts and whatever that they get fawned over. But a lot of times people just kind of like look and like take pictures, like as they're walking by, Mm. it's just like a more, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's just a different chill environment. And the demographic in Sturgis, South Dakota is a little different as well. Like it's not your New York city. It's not your LA. So I feel like it's not maybe so celebrity driven as some of those other places also where you're seeing people and you're like, Oh my God, that's Jason Momoa. You know, it's more so like, Hey, that guy's got a lot of tattoos. You know, I bet he has a sick bike mm. and that's kind of like the vibe and it's just, people are cool. <laughs> 
I, I also noticed on your social media that you uh, are big into fitness. You like to stay, you like to go to the gym. What is your health regimen? Because that's something that I want to bring up every now and then for my listeners, because typically people, restaurant workers, hospitality workers, we don't get to eat very healthy, sometimes not at all, because we're so busy. What is your typical health regimen? So I'm, one of the things that I do is I'm gluten-free. So I, I don't really drink beer anymore, which sucks, but thank God for the world of seltzers now on the market because that has changed my life. And um, I I will bring snacks. I Every time I go somewhere, the first thing I do is I throw my shit down, get situated, and then I you know go to the grocery store. I eat a lot of fruit. I eat a lot of salads. I always travel with Tupperware and little mini um, coolers. So I will you know make a salad, throw that behind the bar. That's something easy. I always have silverware in my car that I can use. Um, I try to not let people get me food. Like if anyone asks if I'm hungry, you know, maybe I'll let them bring me just a burger with, you know, no cheese, no bun, no anything like that. But that's good protein that helps me keep going. I often do uh, protein bars and protein shakes as well when I'm behind the bar because it's quick. You know, you can keep it in your, in your well. You can slam it really quick or you can nibble on a protein bar. It's not going to get in your teeth. It's not going to make you gross, give you bad breath or anything like that. So um, those are kind of the things that I do on the road. Initially, when I started doing travel events, I tried to work out on the road. I just can't find the time to do that, to really wake up early, to go for a run. Like, I would rather wake up early, get dressed up, and go promote myself and walk around town, take pictures with people for tips, you know, promote the bar that I'm going to be at that night so people can come back and spend time with me later in the evening. So I don't really work out a lot when I'm on the road, which is hard. But just my normal life, I do a lot of half marathons. I'm training for one in every single state. That's one of my goals. I've done just about half the country, including Alaska, which was really cool. Um, and I've done a half Ironman race, and I would like to start training. I need to get another tri bike, but I would like to start training again for another half Ironman. So just in my normal real-world life, um, you know, running and biking and swimming are a big component of that, and obviously drinking a lot of water. Right. Back when I was bartending, I, I was – eating healthy or eating at all on a regular basis was difficult for me. I mean, uh, I constantly had a glass of Coca-Cola that I would sip on all night long while I would, uh, while I was bartending. Sometimes I was too busy to order lunch. And then all of a sudden I realize I'm hungry. And then the cook comes around the corner and says, kitchen's closed. I'll see you tomorrow. And like, damn it. You know, instead of doing the, what a lot of servers will do if they're too busy, like uh, walk by, ooh, a spare French fry. Uh, you didn't need that, right? Or grab a couple pickles out of the um, out of the cook station or something like that. Did, uh, you sound like you were prepared for every eventuality. I try, I will not lie, I will never pass up a pickle if anyone wants to offer me a pickle. <laughs> um, I love pickles so much. Pickles and popcorn are like my weakness. But no, I mean, I, I actually have a gallon um, jug of water, like I have a, a water bottle, but if I, if I forget it or I feel like it can't be behind the bar, like in Myrtle, the bar that I work out, I work out right next to the burnout pit. So at the end of the, every single night, I'm literally the color of a chalkboard. And so something that's like a personal, something of mine that I can't throw out at the end of the night, I wouldn't bring behind that bar. So every day I bring a gallon jug of water and I just, you know, I keep that back there and I try to go through at least that in a night. And then, yeah, like, like I said, like the protein shakes or snacks like that. Um, like I do, I eat a lot of trail mix and nuts too behind the bar, you know, good protein, good calories, a good amount of fat that keeps you just going. So I try to do those things. Uh, now working behind the bar you said you do a lot of walking, uh, meeting people and, uh, all that sort of thing. That's, yeah. You stay, you at least stay active. 
So uh, that's mm-hmm. got to be good for you also. And yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe uh, <laughs> and yeah, in hitting people, you know, you work out your biceps or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. My chiropractor loves me when I come home. She's like, this last time when I came back from Myrtle after hitting all those people, she was like, man, she's like, you have never tracked like that. And I'm like, nope. Cause I really like, I was, I was torqued like the whole time I was down there. It was intense. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, you gotta be really entertaining. I'm sure. Uh, at, uh, at least as, at those motorcycle rallies in order to stand out in the crowd. And uh, so, you know, uh, I admire, uh, admire you people for all of that just because after uh, what, how long is uh, technically your, uh, basically your shift when you're doing events? Um, well, it depends on what bar you're on. So it really fluctuates from girl to girl. Like a lot of the shop girls will come in and they're open to close. They're there the whole day. Um, I try to work night shifts or closer to a double. Um, but usually it's like a night shift. So I won't come in until like three or four and then work till bar close. That's still a solid amount of time. Working a 12 hour shift. What kind of shoes are you wearing? Just out of curiosity, this isn't a weirdo question. I'm just, because I'm, I remember, uh, I could, for some reason I could work behind the bar for a 12 hour shift in tennis shoes. If I was in tennis shoes, my feet would kill me by the end of the night but when i wore my doc martens that i'd owned for a couple years most comfortable shoes that uh i could wear and i always wore behind the bar just because they were super comfortable now uh how do you handle a 12-hour shift uh just you know standing in one place well not necessarily but so a secret for me is something that is a waterproof shoe and so Sorel makes these really sexy little wedges that are like winter booties kind of. And I wear those if I'm not bartending a biker rally. That would be my normal like bartending in a nightclub with a little black dress or, you know, bartending more of like a mid high class place because they're functional. They have great tread on the bottom, but they're, they're super cute. They're like all different colors. Like I probably have nine or 10 different pairs of Sorel's. And then um, for like biker rallies, I actually bought this year I, or last year, I finally invested in a really good pair of Harley Davidson boots, also waterproof and just awesome. So like you do not want to get wet feet. Like you're sweating anyway. It's hot out. Like that's, it is what it is, but just for your feet to be dry. Like it's, you know, your bar back knocks something over, you break a bottle on accident and it just dumps down your leg. You know, you want your feet to be dry and comfortable. And those Harley Davidson boots, like, Shout out to Harley Davidson. Those are the most comfortable boots I've ever worn in my life out of rallies. I've now had them two seasons. I have not had to replace them, and there was no break-in period. I cannot praise those boots enough. They were amazing. I agree with you on that. I have a pair of Harley boots myself, and I was actually amazed there wasn't a break-in period because even with Doc Martens, uh, the first two weeks were hell. But once you, oh, yeah. once you broke them in, they're the most comfortable shoe you ever wore in your life. But with my Harley boots, I'm like, these actually are really comfortable. And uh, I have to wear steel toe boots at my day job. And there was one day where I walked into work wearing my Harley boots because I guess I was on autopilot that morning. And my boss looks down and goes, you're not wearing steel toes. And I'm oh, crap. And I just, <laughs> uh, um, but he, he was cool about that. But uh, Harley Davidson, yeah, they do make a good uh, good shoe. So amazing. amazing boots. Yeah. They're, they're cute. They're sexy. They're functional. I love them. Yeah. So, uh, uh, other people that may be looking into getting into, uh, events, uh, and travel because everybody nowadays they want to travel. 
there I I've met travel business people, tra- traveling technicians, and uh, travel event uh, uh, waitresses and bartenders and stuff like that. Uh, what would you uh, advise for him? You know, because you know it was. Uh, I'm sure for you there. Uh, well, maybe for you, I don't know. Uh, I shouldn't be presumptuous, but there was there a like a break-in period for you or any culture shock or were you just, yeah, I'm in this. It's, it depends on the event. So it really does. Like to be a travel bartender can mean a lot of different things. Like you can be a travel bartender and work, you know, electronic festivals and, or, you know, work a lot of NFL, you know, profile kind of events like that. Like that's very corporate. That's very, you know, you're standing in a line and you're doing that. If you're working, you know, a, a rally, if you're a rally bartender, I would say out of all the kinds of travel bartending, if you put them all in a group, the only thing that would kind of stand out is the rally bartending. It is so different, like what you wear, how you have to to brand yourself. Like it is just, it's such a different thing and you have to have a tough skin and it's really competitive. There's a lot of really type A girls out there. And if you, if you've never bartended, like I wouldn't suggest being like a really green bartender and trying to rally bartend because you're going to get eaten alive because I would say we're, we're more so career bartenders. We've been doing this a long time for a lot of us. Like we've been doing it so long that it's not the only thing that we do. Like I work with a lot of women and I mean, it's a lot of women, like we're all badass women, but we, you know, in real life, we own companies, you know, we work for airlines, you know, we, some are probably, you know, nurse assistants and, you know, different things like that. There's so many different things that we do in our real lives. And then we come and do this and it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be, you know, something we do, we bond. It's like a family reunion every time we get together. And for somebody who doesn't know how to hack it, I, I really think you're going to get eaten alive. So I would, I would get a few years of bartending on your belt, you know, working in, you know, whatever kind of environment you're comfortable with. And then if you want to try it, I would say, you know, just to go into it knowing that it is a, different experience and it's not really something that you can prepare for if you want to be successful like you just have to have it or you don't and if you you don't you don't right like there's girls that show up and they they don't even make it three days in and they quit it's a huge turnover on these events and you're only working you know seven ten maybe 14 days and if you can't hack it after two or three days like sorry honey like you shouldn't have gone on that plane like you should have stayed home right and you see a lot of that a huge huge turnover that uh yeah that's something that I've never heard before uh you know some people that think yeah I can do it but then after two or three days they just uh they just can't cut it because they're not used to the people they're not used to what's going on all right so you've got a strong social media presence and is there a downside uh to having a strong social media presence along with being a event bartender because a lot of people in this world on social media, all they do, they live to be assholes on social media. Uh, do you, does that affect you ever? It does. Yeah, there is, there is two different sides of the event bartending. And that's kind of what I was trying to say before. Like if you're, you know, there's the kind of travel bartending where you're bartending at a NFL draft or, you know, a high end event like that, where it's, it's one way, but event bartending and motorcycle bartending at, a, at rallies is a whole different beast because we are wearing very little clothes. We're bartending with body paint. We're bartending in swimsuits or lingerie. And so there are people who hypersexualize us at those kind of events and have a lot of negative things to say to us because of how we look. A lot of us are, are beautiful women. We're strong. We're independent. 
we're very confident in our bodies and that's why we show up and we, we wear what we wear and we are so successful in what we do. And, and people who aren't at the events who aren't experiencing and seeing how we interact with people, they will call us prostitutes or escorts. And, and that's not what we do. Like I have had multiple people come up and tip me, you know, one night, two nights, maybe they give me, you know, 50 bucks, a hundred bucks per drink. I've had people come up and tip me like they buy one drink, tip me a thousand dollars and I've walked away and I don't see them again any other time at that whole event. But to someone on the outside, I've had comments, you know, what did you do for that money? How did you get that tip? Why did they tip you like that? You know, what are you doing after work that someone came up and gave you a thousand dollars at the bar? You must have gone back to their condo or their apartment. And it's, it is not like that. And the, the feedback that we get and the negativity that I have seen and the conversations that I've overheard about myself as a person, not even just as a bartender, but as a person, have come from people who have not been at these events and don't take the time to get to know me as a person. And they just make these assumptions based on what they see online. But, I mean, my presence online is a persona. You know, I, in real life, I don't go out and drink. I am kind of introverted. I run a wholesale retail company. I hang out with my cats. I like to travel. I recycle. I volunteer at the shelter. Like, that's the kind of person that I am. And so when people are are saying that, oh, like, she's off here hooking or she's an escort, you know, not to say that, I mean, that's very offensive, but, like, you have not gotten to know me as a person. And you know, I'm, I'm more than a bartender. And just because I'm wearing that, like, that's my uniform. Like, if I was working at McDonald's, would you be shitting on me because I was wearing, you know, a polo with the M on it? Like, that is what I wear to work. And then when I go home, I take that off. And then I'm, you know, I'm in my pajamas or whatever. You know, that's, that's not who I am. I am not a red pair of lingerie and black Harley Davidson boots, although I love the boots. But it's, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's just a whole thing. And there's been a lot of negativity towards some of us bartenders and a lot of stigma, I think, with that. And I, I just want to say, you know, I don't, I don't speak for all of us, but, um, you know, I, I feel like I can speak for a lot of people in my close friend group that, you know, the presumption that we are having sex for money is so false. Um, you know, the fact that we do anything or exchange anything other than drinks for this money is completely false you know, we, we bust our fucking asses. Like a lot of us, you know, we get Botox, we go to the gym all year, like we work our asses off. to look how we look so we can make the money we make and to have a good experience and make a good experience for our customers and have a good experience for ourselves and to be confident in our bodies. And you shouldn't shit on someone for taking care of themselves and looking good. So we can, you know, be the best representation of ourselves and the brand that we are working under for the bar that we are at. Yeah, I've I, the thing that's been bothering me about social media. I think it pretty much started when I fell down the TikTok rabbit hole. Is a lot of people take a lot of things com- either completely out of context, or uh, they just decided to be a jerk that day and start. You know, anytime I see, uh, you know, somebody say something I don't like, they try to get a band off a of TikTok, or they, you know, purposely comment, you know, you're an idiot or some something like that. And, you know, it's, it bothers me after a while uh, that, you know, I, you, how do you, uh, even some of the videos that I see get posted of people thinking that they're outsmarting police officers nowadays by having their cell phone running. And then I see the comments in these, uh, what I 
what I've decided just now to refer to as androids uh, go, yeah, <laughs> fuck the police, yeah. And I'm like, we don't even know why the guy got pulled over. Or we don't know anything. And then uh, you in your situation, somebody just happens to see you uh, see you working and they automatically think, uh, well, she's, she's a prostitute or something like that. But uh, rumors about that of bartenders, whether male or female, have gone back since the probably early days of bartending. I mean, way early. Uh, most, most men, male bartenders were considered crooks. And female bartenders were con- uh, considered prostitutes. That's just, that's the way it's been since for hundreds of years, let's just say. But it's with social media and people being able to uh, spread the word as fast as they do, it's unfair and stupid. And it's very easy for someone on the other side who might be, you know, uncomfortable in their own skin to see somebody that they wish they could be like or doing something that they're, for whatever reason, not comfortable. You know, they don't have the means to do. They don't have the drive, the hustle, the motivation to do. And instead of, you know, looking at themselves and being like, hey, you know, if I went to the gym or, hey, if I did this or, you know, I, I could do that if I wanted to, you know, like if you just – but they don't. And so it's, it's easier for them to, to look at somebody who's doing those things that maybe they wanted to do, but for whatever reason, feel like they can't and then call them a whore or a slut or a skank or a hooker or a prostitute or, you know, make some sort of cut at somebody else that they don't even know to try to make themselves feel better. Mm. And, and I feel like I, I have a very strong skin and I feel like there's a lot of things that people have said to me and about me that if I was not the person that I am, that, you know, I feel like a lot of people kill themselves for a lot less. Mm. And, you know, you just, you have to have a tough skin and you have to be confident in who you are and trust in the person that you are and know that it doesn't matter. Like when you take off your makeup, take off your outfit, you go to bed at night, you have to be comfortable with that person you are without all that on. And I am, I'm very confident in the person that I am. I'm proud of the person I am. And I, it took me a long time to get there, but I wouldn't change anything about myself, you know? And I think there's nothing wrong with being a 32 year old woman who is proud of being sexy and, and proud in their skin. I think that's beautiful. Whether you're black, white, brown, purple, green, you know, 300 pounds or a hundred pounds, like for you to be comfortable and confident, like fuck everybody else. And I think, you know, I am that I am confident and you're not going to break me in that sense. And a, pe- a lot of people hate that. They hate that they can't break me. And that is something that I feel like isn't talked about enough. And I think it should be. Definitely. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I feel sorry for some of the people that, you know, decide that they want to look, they, they feel sexy. They, uh, they put something on. And they, they think, man, I look good. I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to put it on social media. And then it all it takes is one person that says, you're fat. And that mm-hmm. can completely wreck them. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's uh, and, you know, they, it's a person they don't know. And, and that they'll never meet in their life. And it can completely wreck a person. And... Mm-hmm. and- the meanest people, the people that you will never meet, the people who are on the other side of the country, the people who don't know any of your common friends, sometimes those are the cruelest people that are out there trying to get at you. Yeah. 
It, well, that's the thing that drives me crazy about social media is because the person that you, doesn't live near you doesn't uh, have anything to do with you uh, other than just seeing a picture on Instagram or a video on TikTok. And they feel like that I've got to cut this person down. And uh, it's it's unfair and it's uncivilized, I think is the word that I want to use. And that's being nice. Yeah. <laughs> uncivilized, that's being nice. But in the same respect, like social media is such a powerful tool. Like I have people who I don't even remember them hardly from high school. And they they will reach out to me and be like, you know, I saw this video of you and I cannot believe what you're doing. And I am, I am so like, I'm proud of you or, you know, you're so positive and I, I love what you're doing and I love what you're sharing. Like, I can't tell you how many women have reached out to me on my Instagram and have been like, you are, your posts have helped me get through a breakup or an abusive situation. You in an event and you followed me somewhere for what I do. And like, you know, me just doing that is helping you get through something. And I don't know that I'm helping you in your life today or yesterday or, you know, you know, we're all here, you know, in, in social media, you know, it is, it's, it's powerful and it also can be really toxic, but I try to, in my bartending and in my real life, like I try to post and, and just be real and, and share what I'm doing. And I don't feed into the drama. I don't feed into the bullshit. Like I don't do a lot of extracurricular stuff with some people just because I don't care. Like you're going to talk shit about me anyway. Like I don't want to give you my time. Like that's the most valuable thing I have, mm. you know, it's, I choose to put people around me that that are positive, that have like-minded and want to build each other up. I'm not the kind of girl that's going to turn around and talk shit about you behind your back. That's not who I am. Yeah, this is other uh, videos that I see on TikTok every now and then where these uh, beautiful, all shapes and sizes women that I uh, I see on TikTok, they're doing their modeling. I think they look great. I'll like their videos. But then they spend a month commenting on all the negative uh, comments that they've received on their pictures. And I'm, I always sit back, is that really worth your time? And, and it's just, uh, no, know, just get it's past not. it. Yeah. It's not. And like with the stuff that people have said about me, um, you know, some of the stuff it's like, I've, I've told people in like trying to defend myself, I guess, like I could kill myself and I would have done it wrong. Like there is no fighting against people who want to hate you and have bad things to say about you. Because you can't do anything right, and you never will. Mm. It doesn't matter if you lose weight, gain weight, change your hair color, change your makeup, get tattoos, remove your tattoos, you know, hang out with the right people, do the right things. It, it doesn't matter. Like, you will never be enough for people who don't love you and don't think you're on the right path or, you know, hate you because you're doing something different than them. Like, it doesn't matter. You, like, you just, you never can. It'll never be enough, and you will die trying to make other people happy, and you will be miserable until you're six feet under. And you just, you can't do that. And that is one thing I will say about the women that come out and work these events, and specifically motorcycle rallies, because we are bartending in our, our you know, our lingerie and our, our swimsuits and body paint. You see every body type of women. And you see women who, you know, like, a lot of people say I have a great butt. I'm very self-conscious about my butt. And there are women who like, who rock like songs or rock, like, you know, just body paint and you know, their bodies are so different than mine. And they're so confident where I have my insecurities, but they're out there and they're fucking doing it. And you know, there's a, there's a girl for everybody's, you know, interest. And there is somebody who thinks you're beautiful at every event because we're all different. And that is that is one reason that I really like Fuck Bang Blow because it's not like your cookie cutter, 
you know, like nightclub or, you know, bar where we all look the same because there's an image that we're trying to uphold. Like we're fucking, we're hired because we're cool. We're hired because we're good at what we do. So we don't all fit a mold. And it's it's just very empowering to be there and be with those women and just to crush it. Like, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, now, before this turns into an hour-long advertisement for Sturgis and Harley-Davidson, uh, last thing <laughs> I'm going to say, though, is uh, back when I was bartending, it was usually in the mom-and-pop hole in the walls. I always found out that uh, making friends with the Harley riders usually, um, usually made my nights uh, a lot easier because – once you made friends with them, you've got a bouncer, you've got somebody to joke with, and uh, they're and they were always loyal to you uh, immediately once you made became friends. Yeah. And usually, all you had to do to become a Harley rider's friends is say, "Hey, nice bike." Yeah, you know, you know, wasn't extremely difficult. Did did you do you have a lot of regulars that will uh, jump up and protect you? Uh, you know, no matter what. Yes, but it's not so much in, like, the, like, bodyguard kind of way of protection that you think of. Like, a lot of people, you know, they come up, and it's not everyone. Most of your demographic at Sturgis is not, like, a stereotypical, tatted-up, young, like, jack guy in a Harley. Like, it's a lot of guys who are, like, doctors and lawyers who are in their, you know, 50s, you know, 60s, late 40s kind of thing. Like, I would say it's a much older demographic that comes in there. And so a lot of times they'll be sitting at your bar and they're like, Hey, are you hungry? Do you want me to go get you some food? Or, you know, Hey, can I get you, you know, can I get you something to drink? Like, do you need water? Or, you know, I saw this, you know, out on the street, you know, I think you'd look really good in it. You know, can, I'm going to go buy you this or, you know, something like that. You know, I, it's, it's a whole different kind of like protection kind of thing rather than like, Hey, you look like you need saving girl. Like, let me make sure that you're safe. And I will say that all of the events that I work, our support staff are incredible. Like you are not allowed to walk from the bar to your car at night without a security guard or a bodyguard or someone who works there. Um, the bar that I work at in Myrtle Beach, they're wonderful. They have a golf cart, someone that drives. They stay there until bar closes. They will drive you to the parking lot. You're not allowed to walk by yourself. There's always a buddy system. Like the extent that the bars go to to make that we are okay and that we're safe leaving is impeccable. Like I'm, I always feel very loved and very protected when I'm coming to and from work. I love to hear that, uh, that they give you a uh, chaperone or not a chaperone, uh, at least somebody to go out with you at your car. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you girls are t uh, as tough as nails as it is, but it, it doesn't hurt to have somebody with you. It really doesn't. Um, yeah, it's nice. Cause there's always a drunk asshole that like tries to talk to you or, you know, something. So it is really nice to, to know that, you know, you can just smile and wave and say, you know, hope you feel good tomorrow morning. See you tomorrow. Instead of, you know, trying to have a 25 minute conversation in the parking lot where you're taking, you know, a six and step back every few seconds. So yeah. that's awkward. Now, uh, this doesn't have to be a motorcycle rally. It, well, it, I just am overly curious. What is your most favorite event, most memorable, memorable event that you've ever, uh, bartended at? Um, Gosh, out of all the events that I do, I it is a motorcycle event, and honestly, it's one that I will never let go. I love working in Myrtle Beach. I love working at Suck Bang Blow. It is just, it is like coming home. Like, you get there, and you throw your stuff down, you start setting up your bar, and you see everybody. It is, I don't, I just don't know how to describe it. It's just like you take a bite of, like, a really good food, and, you know, you just take that breath and, like, settle in and sigh, and it feels amazing. It's that's how it feels when I'm there. It's like eating the best cheesecake I've ever had. 
and just being like, ah, feels good to be here. It feels good to have this. And that's, that's what it is. And I love the people that I work with and I make great money there. And it is honestly, truly a family. It is a support system. And I, I'm very fortunate and very lucky to have finally gotten into that bar. And I hope that I can work that bar until I'm, you know, old and wrinkly and they kick me out. <laughs> now, uh, I'm really apologize to my listeners because uh, I know this is only an audio podcast, but if they could see the way your face lit up when you told that story, that uh, they would have loved it. Because <laughs> honestly, your face <laughs> did light up when you started talking about Myrtle Beach in, uh, you know, that's, that's really cool because I could re- totally tell that, uh, yeah, that is your absolute favorite place. Do you have a favorite moment that happened? Uh, um, I don't know why that that bar was just always, even more so than getting into Scourges and When I Jack, getting into that bar was always just like, it's kind of a competitive bar and there's a reason, you know, that it is harder to get into the people that work there. Like, they don't leave because it is, it's such a great environment. Like you don't want to stop working there because it would mean like losing your brother or your sister. Like it's just, it's such an awesome place. And even like down to the kitchen guys and you know, the guys that take out the trash, like they're, everyone's just so nice and, and checking on you and make sure that you have everything and stop and say hi to you. Like everything about it is just amazing, I guess. But I really don't have like a favorite moment like I will say like that is the bar that my TikTok went viral on for paddling a guy two years ago so that's just kind of a moment that's like I guess a chip on my shoulder like I'm proud of that one but but overall no it's just I love the owners of that bar and I love working there and I'm really proud to say that I work there oh yeah okay that's awesome so when you're not travel bartending or event uh doing events and stuff like that what are you doing so my real life consists of um, running a wholesale retail company. So I started a company in 2017 called The Grasshopper's Mermaid, and it is predominantly a sticker company, but we also do shirts and hats, frameable prints. But I work with about 15 different artists that I rotate depending on the job, um, and we do really, really, really cool art. And I have accounts, you know, I, like I said, it's wholesale. So um, mostly I'm, I'm selling in like national parks, state park stores, um, high tourism stores, you know, Breckenridge, Colorado, uh, Lake Tahoe, Lake George, New York, you know, the Everglades, you know, national park, like stuff like that. I have accounts all the way from Canada and Alaska all the way down to Aruba. And um, it keeps me very busy. I, if I'm not traveling for a bartending gig or an event of that nature, I'm usually traveling to um, promote my brand and get new clients at a wholesale retailer show. And I do a lot of that. I'm traveling, you know, two to three weeks a month from August, September, all the way through January. And um, I'm very fortunate that people have found my company to be really cool. We, um, we give back 10% to conservation efforts, which is a really big thing. I also fund a scholarship at the university I went to in Wisconsin for kids who are focusing on um, either environmental journalism or environmental sciences and who plan to study abroad because I really want to encourage international travel. I think that's a really big part of um, like intellectual and just environmental development as a human. So um, we do both of those things and it's, it's really cool. And um, yeah, I mean, you can buy on our website too. If you check it out, the website is grasshoppersmermaid.com. And you can go on, you can pick a design, you can pick the text on it, add it to your cart, and we will customize it for you and ship it off to you, wherever you are. How did you get started with that? Um, so when I was training for my Ironman race, I needed to dedicate a lot of time to the training. 
And everybody was really just partying a lot at the bar that I was working at. And to be up until four in the morning, not doing a bunch of drugs and just trying to get enough sleep, knowing that I had to run like 10 to 12 miles the next day, swim two miles, you know, or bike for a few hours and then have to, you know, do other things, have a real life in between and then go back to work and bar until four in the morning was just exhausting. And so I took some time off and I started working for an accountant. Um, she was a miserable human being and she was an alcoholic. And so I quit that and I was like, well, fuck all this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, um, my grandpa had passed away and he was a game warden. And my grandpa was the most influential man that I've ever had in my life. I didn't grow up having a dad and, um, he was always there for me. And so I wanted to do something just kind of like in his memory. And I just wanted to do something that was like a feel good thing because I was around all these people who were depressed and doing a lot of drugs and just I don't know it wasn't my scene and I didn't want to be doing it and I just wanted to feel good so I wanted to do something that we could give back with and I didn't know if I was going to make any money I had no idea I just wanted to be able to donate money and, and to make a difference and help animals and that was my goal and so I started my company and um, it started with two designs and then it, it kicked off and it people wanted more designs like those designs pulled out right away in the stores in Breck and um, it just started evolving and I started hiring more artists and some of the artists that I have, I'm so fortunate they've been with me since day one in 2017 and they've evolved with my company as it's grown and I couldn't do it without them and I, I love them dearly. They're all over the world. One of my best artists, um, she's in Brazil, another great artist that I have, she's in Bulgaria and um, up until this year, it was exclusively woman-owned and operated, like right down to my production line, we're all women. One of my artists, my artist in Brazil, her boyfriend is also a very talented artist. And so he started working for me this year as well. So now it's a ton of women and one man. <laughs> <laughs> now, did, but it's, um, it's a great time. <laughs> did this start out as a small business in your garage or? It started off as a small business in my dining room, laundry room, and living room. <laughs> ah. Because the equipment is so large. So I live in a 2,000 square foot house and I did Airbnb at the time. So I was renting three rooms for Airbnb. I had the printer and the cutter in my dining room. I had the laminator in my laundry room. And I mean, it's a hustle. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a hustle. You know, I bust my ass to do that. And I remember like when I was trying to learn how to operate and use my cutter and it wouldn't work and I didn't know why it was working. I would cut the designs and sheets because it's 54 inches. I would cut the sheets. I would fold them up. I'd put them in my backpack and on slow weeknights at the bar, I would bring scissors and my regulars would help me hand cut out my, my stickers <laughs> just so we could make the orders. And I'm telling you, hand trimming die cut stickers that are all these weird shapes and you have to cut them so they all look identical so they stack nicely so you can you can package them. Yeah. That is a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> but that is that is how dedicated my customers were and they helped me, you know, help the company not fail until I figured it out and, and got up off my feet and I I couldn't have done it without them either. And, and I'm very fortunate and grateful for how it's grown and evolved. And it's, it's cool, you know, giving back and donating and making a difference and just knowing we're doing the right thing. Like my stickers have water-based inks. I have the greenest printer on the market. Um, you know, we do everything we can to be an eco-conscious company in a very non-eco-friendly world. It is, we do what we can. Well, um, we're coming up on the last call of the show. Uh, so why don't you take a minute and tell people where they can find you on social media? or contact you for events? Yeah. So um, if you want to book me for something, my email is rose 
carolmermaidbartender at gmail.com. And that is Carol with a K, not a C. Um, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok. It is Colorado Mermaid, and there's a period between Colorado and Mermaid. And then my snap, which I hardly use, and I don't even really know how to use it, is Mermaid Colorado, I believe. Um, and I think that's all the ways you want to find me on, on online. I'm the best on Instagram. If you want to send me a picture, find me, you know, communicate with me, that is, that's usually the best. Um, email is good, too, because most people don't do that nowadays. So yeah. I'll see that first. All right. Well, Thank you so much for taking time out to being on my podcast. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, If you ever want to come back on the show, you are always welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's it, people. It is last call, last call for alcohol. Come on up to the bar and get yourself something to drink before I close because you're not going to have long to drink it. So big thanks to Rose Carroll, the Colorado mermaid bartender herself, for being on the show. I'm serious, people. When she started talking about working at Myrtle Beach, her face lit up. I mean, it was it was genuinely obvious that she loves being there. Not that she doesn't like other uh, the other places that she works, but uh, when I asked her what her favorite place was, she definitely, her face started beaming. As usual, I'd like to thank Laura Hope and the Arctones for their single Dr. Bartender. Remember to go check them out on all streaming services, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. Uh, they've got a lot of great music out there and you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a little biased. I'm into rockabilly, but you'll love their stuff. Don't forget to visit country wine and spirits. That's www.cwspirits.com and check out their enormous selection of various spirits, whether it's whiskey, vodka, liqueurs, uh, tequila, whatever you're looking for, you can find it there on CW Spirits, and you might find something new that you've never tried before, but you definitely should. Just remember to use coupon code HEYBARTENDER5 at checkout and get 5% off your entire order. Please remember to share, like, and subscribe to Hey Bartender Podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, and remember, if you want to get a hold of me, you want to be a part of the show, or you just have a simple question, you can email me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com, or you can uh, follow me and message me on the social medias. I'm on Facebook at Hey Bartender Podcast. I'm on TikTok at Hey Bartender Podcast and Instagram at Hey Bartender Podcast. You should really check out my videos on TikTok because I've been making uh, obscure drinks that I've never made before with all these liquors that I get to test out from CW Spirits. Kind of cool. But Hey Bartender Podcast needs guests. Anybody that's worked in the service industry is eligible to be on Hey Bartender Podcast. All you have to do is work with people. So if you are a server, you're a bartender, you're a hostess, you're a flight attendant, uh, you know, I want you to be on the show. And because, you know, that's the interesting part that nobody ever talks about is what actually happens in the service industry. I mean, everybody knows about the drinks. Everybody knows about the food. But what is it exactly everybody in the service industry goes through? That's the big question. But thank you all for listening. And as usual, people, I just want to wish you all lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness. And remember, don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's last go? I just got...